0: To Let it Lopate at Large, I'm Leonard Lopate. New York has many upstate vineyards, but what about New York City? Brooklyn. Well, in the spring of 2016, two brothers, Devin and Thomas Showmaker, launched Rooftop Reds in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. It's the world's first commercially viable urban rooftop vineyard. A 15,000-square-foot space with 200 grapevines. Founder and managing partner, Devin Showmaker joins us now, along with Clara Kahn, the winery's Director of Sales and Operations. Welcome to our show. you guys there, okay, Clara. can you hear me Clara Devin I don't know they're in Brooklyn. <laughs> Well, we're going to try to make a connection again. Are either of you there? I guess not. Did you remember we were doing a radio show today? (laughs) I wish I had some wine right now. (laughs) I could use it. Ah, well, today's my birthday, so I guess this (laughs) this is my birthday gift try again Devin Devin Devin, are you there Devin
1: hello Leonard whoa
0: okay fine (laughs) I don't know if you heard my introduction but uh
1: I I heard the introduction uh but then I went into uh hold music so sorry about that I don't know what happened
0: okay well uh are you, are you the only rooftop vineyard operating in new york
1: uh yes, yes, and we were the first uh commercially viable rooftop vineyard system in the world
0: so um, so there's no others in the rest of the world either
1: no no now there are now there are but we we were just uh the first to you know develop design and implement uh rooftop uh, uh agriculture Urban agriculture uh, with viticulture, you know, combining, combining uh, growing grapevines, vineyard management, um, with a with a planter box, you know, urban design. Uh, so that's that's uh, what we pioneered, and now there are several uh, different rooftop vineyards uh, throughout the world, uh, but uh, nothing nothing on the scale size or uh, or, or professional viticulture development uh, that Rooftop Reds has achieved. Um, and we are expanding internationally as well. We just launched a pilot project with the Takanaka mm. Corporation in Japan and central Tokyo, also working with the Fukugawa Wine Garden and the Fukugawa Winery, the only urban uh, winery in Tokyo right now. So, you know, expanding our presence, uh, internationally uh, through the design that we launched in 2016.
0: Did you have the idea for Rooftop Reds e- years before you even began this business, when when you were still a student in 2013? Were you, were yes. you studying winemaking at the time? Yes.
1: I was. I was. Uh, so I went to uh, uh, Finger Lakes Community College in the Finger Lakes wine region. Uh, that's where I... Um, one of the first community colleges to have a viticulture enology program, so vineyard management, winemaking, cellar practices.
0: A lot of good uh, wines was, from that area.
1: The, the wines are excellent. Yeah. The wines are excellent. There's a lot of focus now on the Finger Lakes, one of the fastest-growing wine regions in the United States, um, not only because they're making excellent, cool-climate you know, productions. There's a lot of international focus, a lot of international talent, Flocking to the region, and and the region is just growing. Uh, I think also as a result of climate change, um, cool climate regions aren't as cold as they were, so there's more uh, diversity in what they can plant, what they can produce, and uh, you know uh, they're they're not being pushed out of their comfort zone. Uh, they're actually getting more and more into a fertile zone. Uh, you know, other regions holds very uh, cold hardy grape varietals, but, uh, you know, that's that's the world.
0: Like dry Rieslings. But even even with that in mind, isn't the weather quite different in Brooklyn than Mm -hmm. it is in the Finger Lakes region Mm -hmm. of state?
1: Yes, yes. So while I was learning how to grow grapevines and make wine in a very cool climate region like western New York, like the Finger Lakes wine region, um, you know, I knew that growing grapevines in Brooklyn in more of a maritime climate Uh, with urban influences like the heat island effect, uh, just being surrounded by concrete and the heat absorption that happens in the city. um, I said a whole different climatic analysis and chose different varietals that I knew would not be successful upstate. Uh, But my hypothesis was that we were, we were closer aligned to Sonoma Napa Valley. Um, with the heat accumulation or growing degree days that we would receive in, in Brooklyn uh, than we were with any cool climate regions that really represent New York.
0: But up there, of course, they're planting all the, the vines in, in the ground. Um, right. Wouldn't the amount of acreage that's necessary to sustain a viable vineyard be incredibly expensive if you try to do it in New York City?
1: Well, that's the thing. You know, we, we we never were reliant on the rooftop to produce all of our wines. We still want to cel- celebrate the amazing productions that are coming out of New York State. Uh, so Rooftop Reds was kind of a draw to allow uh, uh, people that live in the city to have accessibility uh, to a vineyard setting. You know, you don't have to drive out to Long Island. You don't have to drive, you know, five and a half hours to the Finger Lakes. You can take the MTA. Uh, straight to a rooftop vineyard, right, right across the bridges from Manhattan, uh, right next to Dumbo, uh, you know, neighborhood within Brooklyn.
0: Is there a subway uh, so, nearby, subway station? Yeah,
1: yeah. There's there's two main lines, the uh, A and the C, and uh, the F train are uh, less than half a mile away. Mm-hmm. So New Yorkers are, you know, pretty pretty apt at walking, and uh, it's definitely a destination business and. You know, it's a little bit of a treasure hunt to to find us in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, but we think that all plays into the excitement um, and and the untraditional, you know, sense of of what we do and a rooftop vineyard. Now um, you, so you
0: you didn't begin in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, right? You began with a 50-vine pilot vineyard in your brother's South Park Slope Brooklyn rooftop. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I, that I, I had to be a lot pie- smaller.
0: Did is the roof? Yeah. Are the rooftops in the Brooklyn Navy Yard really big?
1: Yeah. Well, the the Brooklyn Navy Yard is is a you know was a huge industrial naval base um, that operated all the way to the early seventies. Um, but yes, the the warehouses here are massive. Um, so I have a fifteen thousand square foot rooftop. Which is the equivalent of a third of an acre, um, and that's one of the smaller warehouses within the Brooklyn Navy Yard. But it's it's totally sufficient for us to produce about 200 Bordeaux red varietals in my planar box design, and and uh, grow you know enough of a crop, enough of a harvest to produce one barrel of wine per year. So. Yes, that's our showcase production. That's kind of our luxury brand. That's that's the collector item uh, from our portfolio. The rest of the wines that we serve our customers up here uh, are grown and produced in the Finger Lakes wine region. So, you know, kind of our business model is really to uh, expose New Yorkers uh, that live in New York City to the great productions that are coming out of New York State. And we don't just serve our own productions. We have a smattering of other producers from New York State that we'd love to pour and celebrate as, as great examples of, of the quality that's, that's growing right in our own local state economy.
0: But you can't just lay down a, a lot of soil on top of a roof. Uh, you're right. growing these, uh, these vines in, in containers?
1: Yeah. So uh, soil depth is uh, very important. Uh, to you know the health, and the maturity of of grapevines. Um, so I, I designed an urban planar box that's uh, quite large. Uh, it's 36 inches of soil depth. Um, it's 1.33 cubic yards of soil per planar box. Um, so it's it's they're they're, they're quite robust, um, and that amount of soil depth allows us uh, to to have about medium vigor. You know, we do have a high-density planting. These are all Bordeaux red varietals, so we do want to kind of mimic uh, the, the the growing principles that, that they uh, have developed in Bordeaux, high-density planting. Were you know, talking uh, about Cabernet, principle.
0: Cabernets, and Merlots?
1: Yep, so all five traditional Bordeaux red varietals are grown on our rooftop. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is a number one bridal that we grow up, uh, on the rooftop, about 50% of our vines are Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, the other four varietals are Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, and Petit Verdot.
0: Now, originally you didn't have these, uh, th- you, you, ha- you had to plant the vines in something different. You bought uh, seven-gallon buckets from
1: Home Depot? Yes. <laughs> I, I see you've done your research. <laughs> uh not not home depot uh uline uh wow. made uh these these 7 gallon pails um that we purchased for our nursery kind of startup vineyard um so that's I when you were still in the south plant. slope yes exactly so that was our pilot project that's just the you know proving out the concept and and seeing how these vines react you know but, just just how they reacted to the environments how they reacted to the the warmer climate what bigger growth we got in in that 7 gallon pail and then also the winterization process how they shut down in the winter you know did we have any winter damage um actually it was a it was an incredibly cold year 2013
0: um, the first yeah, year you planted so
1: that that was the polar vortex year and so all of our vines survived, even in this really immature, you know, um, you know, soil medium, potted space, uh, and and therefore we had the confidence to move forward with our much more robust, you know, urban planter design, and and have confidence that it would succeed.
0: Now, were you doing this? All on your own? Did you get help? And what about investors? Uh, is this yeah, you and your brother have um, enough money to to pull off this yeah, kind of no. thing? It,
1: was, it, it wasn't my brother was was a great help in in uh, you know having a location before I was able to entice the Brooklyn Navy Yard to give me a much larger hmm. uh, uh, a vineyard space, rooftop vineyard vineyard space. Um, but I. Uh, from the pilot project, I launched a successful Kickstarter campaign. I raised about $20,000 in seedling funds. I uh, made a handshake agreement with the Navy Yard that if I met my goal, they would give me short-term leases to set up a nursery vineyard with the seedling funding. Uh, so I, I did a lot of putting the cart in front of the horse. Uh, and a week after I graduated from my degree program at Finger Lakes Community College, uh, I planted the grapevines, which people can visit today, um, on on rooftops in the seven-gallon pails, uh, on rooftops here in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So the vines that are here today in our mature planter system have always their whole entire, you know, uh, growth uh, and, and and life uh, so far has been on rooftops in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, we did transplant those vines. Uh, into the planter boxes once I got, uh, a much larger investment, uh, from a, a private and in- sole investor. You have to uh, worry about drainage, powder. don't you? Drainage? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, always. So yeah. I worked with a, a company called Skyland USA, um, to create the soil medium, uh, and, and develop the nutrients, the pH, you know, the drainage. Our soil drains impeccably well. Um, you know, vitis vinifera, the European varietals uh, that we grow and know and love, like Cabernet Sauvignon, they hate wet feet. So, of course, they need moisture, but they want that soil to drain out uh, really quickly. They don't want to be in soggy soil.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. My guests are Devin Showmaker and Clara Kahn of Rooftop Reds. Uh, And Clara, I had a whole bunch of questions for you, but we didn't have you initially, so I asked Devin those questions. I'll get back to you, okay? But welcome aboard.
2: Well, thank you so much. Uh,
0: And by the way, you can just jump in whenever you want if you want to add something, Okay. I think that oh, absolutely! I, I think that we will uh, be able to distinguish between your voices. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not not so sure about that. But
0: <laughs> so, so how did Brooklyn Grange, which farms rooftops, get involved in this whole thing?
2: well devin i'm uh, well, pretty sure that the extent of that is um you know them turning us on to the the soil manufacturer that devin mentioned earlier skyland u s a they use the the same soil medium, different makeup of course since they're growing a very different right. set of of agricultural crops than we are on the rooftop but um yeah i'm not sure about the extent of their involvement beyond that
1: no you yeah to- they're, they're they're a completely separate business um but they were a huge inspiration for uh Focusing and spotlighting the Brooklyn Navy Yard as a potential site to launch this urban agriculture, you know, uh, division, uh, uh, bringing in viticulture. So uh, they launched their rooftop in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in 2012. Uh, I reached out to them, uh, Quinn Sanchez and Ben Flanner uh, and Anastasia, the partners over there at Brooklyn Grange. And they shared a lot of contacts with me, like Clara mentioned, Uh, the soil provider. That they were using for green their green roof farm system, um, and then they just uh, uh, got me in touch with the the leasing uh, uh, higher ups at at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, uh, which then manifested itself in meetings with the board and and a unanimous decision to welcome in Rooftop Reds as a as a new urban agriculture venture at the Brooklyn Navy Yard.
0: So you uh, found a suitable rooftop in 2015, the rooftop of mm-hmm. Building <laughs> 275, which overlooked what was then the overgrown, abandoned officer housing section of the Brooklyn Navy Yard called, Admiral's Row. Yep.
1: Now, what yeah, did you have to absolutely. do to
0: make that suitable for growing lots of grapes?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there, there's many factors. Um, one, they had a white reflective membrane already established on this rooftop. So that really reduces the heat surface temperature, which would make, you know, growing grapevines untenable. Um, if, it, if in Converse, they, they had like a black tar rooftop that just, you know, absorbed and, you know, reached temperatures of 130 degrees. Um, so there were bigger you know, rooftops, so that, that,
0: but they wouldn't, been, yeah. wouldn't have been suitable for you.
1: Sorry, sorry, Leonard.
0: There are bigger rooftops that you might have uh, wanted to be on, but they weren't suitable for what you were trying to do.
1: It, exactly, 100% correct. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really important to get a rooftop that, that you know, wasn't a huge heat uh, absorber. Uh, and, and conversely, you know, because it was a white membrane, we actually increased our photosynthetic activity, by the reflection up into our canopy so that's a urban attribute that that really helps us ripen our grapevines to a really high quality um, but is completely unique to our urban environment um, secondly you know we're, we're just elevated uh, so it's harder for pests to reach us um, you know uh, grape, grapevines love good air circulation Uh, good air circulation equals less fungal pressure within our canopy. Um, yeah, so all of these are great factors that rely, you know, specifically on, on being, you know, elevated on a rooftop with the right, you know, membrane, uh, you know, surface material. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these factors are completely untraditional. Uh, but really benefited our, our, you know, our growth system and, and how we ripen our fruit year after year. But doing all of this
0: on a rooftop had to be a lot more complicated than finding a plot of land somewhere or even using <laughs> somebody's backyard garden spaces. Uh, you, you had these planters that you had to bring up. Um, yep. Now, how did you bring them up?
1: Right. Uh, I carried them. Yeah. <laughs> The planters themselves are 130 pounds. They're military grade aluminum, so they are quite lightweight, but they are very intensely strong. Instead of instead of being more complicated of a of a grow system, I would say it's 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 a great grow system. Uh, you know, there's basically the growing principles are very very traditional, minus you know smaller canopy space, um, but it it, it is vastly more expensive. Uh, so these planter boxes are custom-made by Vance Metal Fabricators in Geneva, New York. So I really wanted to keep a lot of the economics in the wine grape-growing region where I learned all these best practices and principles of viticulture. Um, and, and, and they're not cheap. You know, they, 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 they are custom. They're very strong. You know, we inlay our Alsatian trellis toast right into the brim you know, we reinforced the brim, so if there was, like, a Category 4 hurricane coming our way, we could actually crane these planter boxes fully planted off the rooftop. You know, worst-case scenarios were taken into account, but, you know, a lot of that planning and design costs, a, you know, a, a, a pretty penny. Um, well, what about so, a day
0: like today, where there are predictions of flash floods, Um can yeah, there not, be too not, much rain for you?
1: Not not an issue. Like I said, I I, I manufactured our soil to be very, very drainage-prone, and I also designed a a, a planter trough uh, that works very effectively in getting the water out of our soil, a medium zone, our growing zone. Um, so th- it's worked extremely well. I mean, we've had record-breaking rains this year, um with ida and the tropical storm two weeks prior uh you know everybody seen the news everybody saw the horror that went on in new york city with all the flooding our grapevines were absolutely fine we had a beautiful harvest you know our 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 bricks came in right where we wanted them to be our acids were spot on this year uh we just harvested on monday you know uh we had a wonderful crew of You know, industry professionals uh, and, of course, the Rooftop Reds team up here uh, celebrating, you know, a really, really tough year that ended really well because of all these, you know, details and planning and strategy of of how we make this urban system really, really work, even in adverse, you know, conditions that we saw this year.
0: Now, I'm assuming that you got some help from people who were interested in it, but was anybody telling you this is a crazy idea, you shouldn't be doing it?
1: Yeah, a lot. Uh, Classmates, my professor. uh, Now, my professor, Paul Brock, he's an amazing viticulturalist, uh, winemaker, owner of Silver Thread Wineries, and he's been a huge uh, asset and mentor for me. Um, But, Originally, he he thought the idea did was did not have merit. Uh, he he suggested that I do something else with my degree. Um, since then, he has you know visited the rooftop several times, and uh, he has gone back on his initial statement. And he thinks it's really important what we're doing here uh, in Brooklyn, uh, and and specifically because we are representing. New York State. We are representing the Finger Lakes wine region. And he's a prominent, you know, uh, winery owner within that region. And the amount of people that we are sending upstate to the Finger Lakes wine region, because they've been exposed to us here in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, every time I go up to the Finger Lakes, I, I, I do winery tours. I visit the people that we spotlight and promote. And they they tell me, you know, people are coming from Brooklyn because of the exposure at Rooftop Red. So that's a great feeling, uh, and uh, it really is creating this highway of recognition uh, from city dwellers uh, to to the small, you know, boutique producers in the Finger Lakes that are that are, uh, you know, getting getting a really nice spotlight here uh, downstate.
0: Now the Finger Lakes produces a lot of really nice whites uh including uh, specializing in Rieslings for example mm-hmm. but but you have chosen only to do reds
1: Yeah Well Claire I think I think you can probably talk about why we why we uh you know produce and propagate Bordeaux red varietals
2: Yeah it's a fun uh you know, there's this, I feel as though you can kind of um, divide the conversation around the term terroir, T-E-R-R-O-I-R, into two camps. Um, you know, those folks who think that when you're speaking about the terroir of a wine, you're speaking about uh, the soil exclusively, only the soil that the grapes that were grown in to make that wine. Uh, and then the other camp is you know, every single variable under the sun. So, um, you know, the winemaker themselves is part of the tewar, the grape grower, the elevation of that vineyard in relation to a specific body of water and so on and so forth. But, you know, our our argument on the rooftop is that we have kind of created our own tewar. We reverse engineered our, you know, ideal uh, varieties based on the growing conditions. So when Devin first... uh, You know, kind of thought that 275 in the Navy Yard would be the, the ideal location for the rooftop vineyard. He did a climatic analysis and, um, said, you know, instead of trying to kind of put a square peg into a round hole, let's see what is best suited for this specific microclimate. Um, and that's what the climatic, climatic analysis, um, indicated that Red Bordeaux varieties would be the most successful. And um, it's just fun. Where else can you grow Malbec in the state of New York? So why not?
0: Mm-hmm. Didn't you get a lot of media attention when the Rooftop Reds opened uh, to the public in
1: 2016? Yes. Yes, we did. Um, you know, we, we even garnered a lot of media attention when it was still in, in immature, uh, you know, um, kind of nursery vineyard stage. Uh just because it it was up and coming, you know, we were at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, we were growing. Um you know, I I've always worked in sales, marketing, business development, so, you know, I was kind of doing the PR push for two years while I was uh growing this nursery vineyard prior to launching the mature vineyard system that people can come visit today. Um, So by the time that we launched in 2016, there had been, you know, two and a half full years of press churning about this concept um, and what was coming to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. At the same time, the Navy Yard was drastically changing. The Navy Yard was, you know, uh, really growing up, press releases coming out all the time about... Wegman's coming in about, you know, Brooklyn Brewery potentially coming in about, you know, opening up the ferry system. Uh, so there was already a really, really huge spotlight uh, on the Brooklyn Navy Yard. You know, WeWork's coming in. Um, you know, billions of dollars of in redevelopment investment. Um, so, so we we kind of found ourselves uh, coming into the Brooklyn Navy Yard right before the cusp of a major PR and redevelopment, reinvestment in this 300-acre industrial space. So it really was the right time, at the, you know, right space at the right time. And you then, know, uh, yeah.
0: Go ahead. Finish your thought.
1: Sorry, sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Len. Me...
0: No. Well, did an event in another part of the Navy Yard in June of, of uh, 2016 – Called Fly By Night, bring people to your site. That was yes. sounds like a fun thing involving carrier pigeons.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, serendipity <laughs> at its finest. Um, so we we had just opened a few weeks uh, previous to Fly By Night, um, and so Fly By Night was, you know, this artistic visual show of these LED lights. Uh, attached to pigeons that were flying in formations and doing these time-lapse photos. Um, and it was backed by a major art institution in New York. Uh, so there was, I think, a wait list of about 40,000 people trying to see this show, and the Navy Yard would only allow in 400 people to the designated viewing uh, space uh, per of nightly show. Um, so... The art institution that was sponsoring this whole installation contacted me and said, we heard you have just opened a rooftop space in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, You know, we have the show going on. We have a massive wait list. Can we send you your capacity for the next uh, eight weeks, uh, Thursday through Sunday? So right when I opened up, we got thousands of people coming up to rooftop reds in that eight-week span. So, yeah, we we got this unprecedented amount of exposure immediately.
0: You're listening to Let It Low Pit at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. didn't expect that, but today is my birthday, so uh, thank you so much for wishing me a happy birthday. Um, and we, on my birthday, we're talking about wine with uh, Devin Showmaker, who is uh, one of the founders and managing partner of uh, Rooftop Reds in in the Brooklyn Navy Yards, and Clara Kahn, the winery's director of sales and operations. Um, The, uh, so uh, you, you, you got this attention, but you, you were making the wine on the rooftop, right? You were growing the grapes and then making the wine upstate?
1: Yes, that's correct. So we, we never, could you
0: ever have have made it on the rooftop?
1: Not on the rooftop. Um, downstairs? Well, I mean potentially, you know, we are in an industrial manufacturing hmm. park. Um we really wanted just to focus on the agriculture side of things and keep our production space close to the vineyards uh that are producing our wine, you know. It, while I love the exposure that urban wineries, you know, give um urban populations by making the wine in the city. It's really not the best practice to truck load in you know, tons and tons of grapes in one ton picking bins on the back of flatbed, uh, tractors, you know, spontaneous fermentation happen. Um, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it, it's also a logistical nightmare. Um, so my whole reverse thought process about urban wineries is I wanted an urban vineyard. I didn't want an urban production space. I also people stamping you know, on the a-
0: grapes yeah
1: yeah well i mean we we don't do that anymore much more modern you know uh uh, process uh that is that is always the question that we receive you know do you guys stomp on the grapes or do you have a grape stomping uh event coming up uh generally we don't do that um but uh we 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 do think that this is a, a the best practice, also economic s- s- sustainable, uh, instead of having your production space in a very high rental zone, uh, you know, it forces the business model to do other things like become a wedding venue. Um, yeah. And I really just wanted this vineyard to be more educational and more full immersion so people could really, you know, be next to the great See the phenological development and stages that the vineyard goes through from bud break all the way to harvest, and that's that's really I think our value proposition and and our unique aspect uh, that we bring to the table.
0: So after you started producing the wines, uh, were you already experimenting with programming and uh, dinner events, film nights?
1: Yeah, and that started literally from. Basically, day one, you know, we've always had, you know, uh, a, a really eclectic mix of programming up here. Um, we do have the space uh, appropriate to, to really make a nice outdoor movie theater. Um, so I launched Pizza Wine Movie Night uh, from our first, our first year in 2016, Open to the Public. So that's been a, a staple uh, that, that, that we run every year every Thursday night Um, and then tours and tastings once again focusing on educating people about New York State wines educating people about growing vineyards uh, best practices of vineyard management um, and and just explaining why we are doing what we do Uh, and Claire actually has been running the tours uh, for several years Um, but uh, you know we always kind of team, that programming, and uh, support each other, um, you know, when when one has something else that they have to do. So, you know, it's, it, it's a really interactive, very fun, uh, very intimate uh, way that we can, you know, have programming, have economics behind what we do here, but really just explain and educate, um, you know, wh- because people are always scratching their heads of how there can be a a rooftop vineyard in Brooklyn.
0: Well, Clara, how far into this story did you join Rooftop Reds?
2: I joined in 2017. Um, I was certainly one of those people Devin and I met at a Brooklyn wine fair, and uh, I was representing Ravines Wine Cellars. You know, they are a producer supplier out of the Finger Lakes region. Um, I was there on, on their behalf. And then Devin, of course, was representing Rooftop Reds. And You'd been the regional heads,
0: sales manager at Ravines?
2: That's correct, yeah. So they, um, I guess they
0: saw you as a chance to professionalize the business to some degree.
2: Yeah, I, I really acted as a bridge between the, um, the actual brand itself and you know the supply side. Uh, so between that and the distribution side down in the city. Um, you know, having kind of a dedicated boots on the ground for your brand when, you know, there's a fair amount of other Finger Lakes wineries trying to, you know, vie for a spot on the buy the glass list at a restaurant. Um, so, you know, distinguishing ourselves as the more kind of lean, austere um, supplier, but... Anyway, yeah, that's that's where I met Devin. And when he said, you know, vineyard on a rooftop, I just immediately fell into that kind of uh, trap of, you know, how could you? What do you mean? Like, I can't visualize it. And I think that, uh, you know, we both have a lot of fun with it um, when we talk about it to people who can't, who can't visualize it because um, it totally bucks the trend. And I think that we're already starting to see that, you know, a lot of folks – uh we're not for screw cap wines when they first came out or wines on tap when they first came out but um mm-hmm. you know if you're not trying to to modernize and better um you know historical trends i just uh you're stagnant so um i think we we do have and, a lot of fun and, with yeah yeah go ahead
1: so, sorry to to that note i mean it's happening globally i mean even in bordeaux just last year they are now allowing growers to to plant grow and produce six spanish varietals as a result of climate change oh, wow. you know so they're changing up rules that were set in stone in 1855 when all the chateau classifications you know came to be under Napoleon III so uh you know Everything in the wine industry will change in the next 50 years. And, Clara, and-
0: you, you mentioned screw tops. Uh, there are mm-hmm. still people who resist it, but aren't screw tops just as good as corks and a lot easier to uh, to get the wine with?
2: Yeah, it's totally – it comes down to context. You know, there are wines made uh, that are meant to – you know, they're meant to be consumed immediately. Um, you know, I think to kind of pigeonhole a wine into this one category of this, you know, kind of elitist, um, age worthy thing you don't touch for 30 years, you don't even look at it. Uh, But, but is, can't
0: it, it age with the screw top or does it require a cork to you age? You know,
2: wines that are, that are, will, benefit from aging. Usually get a cork. They don't get a screw cap. Um, You know, that's... You can't really allow air to to come through and allow your wine to age when there's a screw cap. The material is just not not malleable, so it's not meant for it, but I think it just has to do with... um, I don't know. Our... Almost the way that we see it as a culture, like I did a harvest over in Austria, about 20 minutes southeast of Vienna. And, um, you know, there are these little taverns called Hoereggers. And, um, you know, they only sell like uh, for food. It's like smoked dips and, you know, cold meats, nothing hot at all. Uh, And then they also sell the wine made from that specific Hoereggers vineyard. And at a time during harvest, they sell what's called Sturm like S T U R M, if you were to kind of phonetically translate it. And um Storm is when uh There's no Drang, just is... a Storm. What's that?
0: There's no Drang, just a Storm.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's you know, it's it's while the juice is becoming wine. It's during its fermentation process. And so you get mm-hmm. a little bit of frizzante, the slight amount of like you know, almost barely noticeable carbonation, but a little prickly sensation on your palate, and it's still a little bit sweet, and it's really low in alcohol. And it's just, you know, it it captures this time in a wine's, uh, you know, progression and evolution that's very specific. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a much more open minded approach to this thing is a living, uh, a living product, you know, which any wine is, I think that is what makes it You know, probably the closest thing in my eyes to magic because, um, you know, if we were to open a bottle today, the three of us, for your birthday, Leonard, by the way, happy birthday.
0: (laughs) Thank uh, you. (laughs) You know, it would
2: be different than it would have been if we had opened it yesterday or tomorrow because it's, you know, wines two years from now
0: or five years from now. I have some wines in my house that are 10 or 15 years old. Uh, I'm afraid to open them because nobody seems to be good enough. (laughs) Oh, God,
2: I'm so sorry. That's a terrible feeling. I totally relate, you know, the kind of precious aspect around wine and approach to it. That's often why you come up to the rooftop, I'm drinking a beer. I just can't. I, I can't get so caught up in the delicate like, you know, nature sometimes because I'm around it all day. And I just want to drink something without feeling like, you know, did I open it at the right time? Um, right. But yeah, you know, we like to have fun with it. And like Devin said, you know, having people up to the rooftop and seeing their expression when they walk in for the first time, that right. never gets old, you know, exposing to folks, exposing folks to the agricultural side of wine when for the most part. They strictly spend time with it in its finished format, in a bottle or a can or a bag, what have you. But they have no idea what it looks like, you know, in its agricultural form. And that, that I think, um, you know, can be applied to most things that we consume. And You You know, only recently are we starting to wrap our heads around how, you know, coffee is produced. But this disconnect between the things that, you know, how how things are grown and then how they make their way into our bodies and and our pockets. But...
0: Well you were leaving an established wine maker Ravine's Wine Cellars for a startup and it was the year that uh the the uh of the first harvest of your own grapes uh, rooftop red grapes right up until then the wines were really that you were offering on the rooftop were uh from elsewhere That's correct yeah finger-like. um
2: mm-hmm. well I mean Devin actually did have uh we had rooftop reds Wines made under our label that were not made from the rooftop fruit. Actually, uh, going back to how Devin and I met, you know, he he made this. Was it the 2015 or 2016 Rosé, Devin?
1: No, it was, it was 2014. Yeah, so that early. Started, okay. I started the production when I started the vineyard. Um, so, like I said beforehand, cart in front of the horse. So, I could get the name out there. So, I could go to these industry... Uh, tasting events uh, to these markets, uh, which is exactly where I met Clara. So, you know, it's very important for me, for the brand, to get out there to start telling the story and start building the hype behind Rooftop Reds. But, yes, at that time, it was all fruit sourced from the Finger Lakes. um, And and working with Point of the Bluffs Vineyards, our our sister winery, my investors' winery, to, to help us put a product out there that represented the brand, that represented the concept prior to uh, launching the rooftop vineyard for people to come see. But uh, I think Clara was talking about probably uh, the Skin Contact Rosé that I came out with my first production.
2: Mm. Spe- yeah, people still ask about that wine.
0: I'm speaking with uh, two of the uh, the. Partners uh, in Rooftop Reds, Devin Showmaker and Clara Kahn. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Now, the first Rooftop Vintage was called Rooftop Reds 3431, um, and that was Mm -hmm. released the next year. Why 3431?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, 3431 represents uh, the growing degree days, or GDD, or in another way to describe it, the heat accumulation that represents this vineyard plot in Brooklyn, York. Um, So 3431 is uh, a heat accumulation calculation from bud break to harvest. Um, So it's everything that the grapes, while they were developing, and, and the vines while they were growing, experienced, uh, which really encapsulates the uniqueness of that vintage. So we also look at growing degree days as why we choose certain varietals, because certain varietals like Malbec need a certain heat accumulation during their growing season to actually reach maturity and ripeness. Um, so it, it, it just it, it, it once again was proving out the fact that we were the warmest vineyard site in New York state Um, because we were actually in 2017 completely on par with Napa Valley. We actually beat Napa Valley in heat accumulation in 2017. Um, So Napa Valley was about 50 to 70 growing degree days behind us. Um, So once again, it's it's just, you know, showing, demonstrating through, this label designation of the growing degree days—how unique this vineyard site is in New York State. So you have to pick the grapes
0: that thrive in certain heats, certain uh, certain right. grapes, uh, certain wines. If if the wine is made in, uh, let's say, uh, in northern France, or. Mm-hmm or or nor- germany whatever or northern italy uh it's going to be quite different than the ones that are produced in the south of those countries the same thing applies here except that uh the uh in new york the uh the the only southern vineyards before you were on long island the north fork and that's kind of cool yes
1: yeah. yeah they get they get a lot uh cooler climate zone as a result of being surrounded by you know both Long Island Sound and and being right on the eastern seaboard um we get a little bit more heat a because of you know the concrete you know burrows that surround us that you know trap heat um but we also get uh more warmth from being closer to um the mainland um you know Jersey and and beyond. So uh but we still get this maritime climate with, with all the swirling winds and uh really, really great airflow, uh you know, just just being by the water. So there is there is some buffering. There is some, you know, uh uh reduction of cold extreme temperatures because we are closer to the ocean here. Um, So it kind of is the best of both worlds.
0: Now, Claire, uh, Devin talked about a Japanese businessman uh, contacting you guys in late 2018, a man named Nakamoto. Um, Did he want to bring your operation uh, international? Did he make it international?
2: You know, I hate to uh, to ask Devin to take this over, but okay. he's certainly, he and his brother Thomas, another partner in the business, have played lead on this operation. Well, Thomas
0: has moved to Japan, hasn't he, Devin?
1: Yes, he has. Yes. So he's bootsing, uh, boots on the ground in Japan right now. We are working with uh, the Takanaka Corporation, uh, the largest commercial developer in Japan. Um, and also the Fukugawa wine garden and the Fukugawa wine winery which is the one of the only urban wineries in Tokyo um, and so once again we are we have launched a pilot project uh, working with these two other uh, uh, you know businesses uh, developer and winery um, to implement our urban growing system uh, on on uh, a rooftop wine garden in central Tokyo.
0: But uh, um, I have to ask this question that you that gets asked on yes. almost every show: Wasn't the yes. Tokyo plan delayed due to COVID?
1: <laughs> well, yes. It, the opening of of the rooftop vineyard and wine garden uh, was delayed. Uh, the planting, uh, the agricultural uh, growing of uh native Japanese varietals, uh that went on schedule. There are so native Japanese a,
0: varietals? I didn't they, know well, there were know, grapes indigenous to Japan.
1: Well they they there they're, they're some hybrids only exist in Japan. Um but they they are uh splicing of European and and Chinese uh native grapevines, but uh you know there there are several different uh varietals that are only grown in Japan now because they have mixed vitis vinifera with uh the vitis uh uh grapevine that is native to China
0: so is that uh what's going to happen there are you going to start bringing some of those grapes here
1: no i that's not the plan. um The plan is to support an emerging wine market in Japan uh, through urban agriculture. Uh, You know, so so much of Japan is urban. You know, uh, Takenaka, being the major developer in Japan, is really keen on uh, developing unique green spaces. You know, they've always had a presence of green spaces, um, you know, incorporated into their design. And and the sustainable front, but they've never really touched urban agriculture, you know, developing a crop from these green spaces. Um, So they looked to us and reached out to us as experts in the grape growing field. They also understand that there's an emerging wine market developing now in Japan, um, and there's such a, you know, uh, a spotlight and a focus on, you know, uh, New York, New York culture, uh, New York uh, development, uh, and the uh, the urban agriculture kind of uh, explosion that is happening in New York, and I, ha- I have and to live the, there. Ha- yeah, I have to. We run out
0: of time, but I want to point out that Rooftop Reds uh, <laughs> offers a wine bar, tastings, educational sessions. It's an event space, and it has views of the Manhattan skyline. Uh, my great thanks. <laughs> To my two guests, uh, Devin Showmaker and Clara Kahn, for talking about it with us today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Leonard. And Thank once you, again, Leonard. happy birthday. To
2: you.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to our live engineers, uh, Michael Haskins and, and Richie Johnson. and. Uh, Leonard at, uh, Lopate at Large executive producer Jesse Lent for all the important work that they do throughout the week. You can access our archive of past shows at wbai.org and um, at Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. You'll also find links to our over 500 past interviews at leonardlopateatlarge.com. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is org. Before I go, I need to ask you to consider becoming a member of WBAI. And you can do that by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now. That's 212-209-2950. Please do it to to keep this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. because we're the only station on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-sponsored, and we need your help to stay on the air. So why not make that call right now to ensure that, This show and the station that brings it to you will be here in the years to come. And one great way to show that support for what we do at Leonard at Lodge is to become a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. BAI buddies provide the station with a steady, stable source of support, something we need now more than ever. But however you choose to donate, what really matters is that you join your fellow listeners who keep this alternative to corporate radio alive and well in New York City through their generosity. Again, the number to call to make your tax deductible contribution is 212-209-2950. You can go online to give to wbaiorg And please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And thank you very much. We are off the next couple of days, but I hope you can join us again on Tuesday when Harper's Magazine editor Andrew Coburn will discuss his new book, The Spoils of War, Power, Profit, and the American
2: War Machine. Have a great weekend.